Hello and welcome to the Wednesday Till I Die podcast. Uh, I'm James and uh, today I'm, I'm joined by, well, we've had ex-players on, we've had uh, ex-managers on and now we've got uh, an ex-chairman on in uh, in Lee Stratford. Lee, uh, first of all, thanks for taking the time out to uh, to talk to us. Um, how are you, mate? You all right? I'm, I'm better than I have been for most of the last 10 years. You know, on top of health, um, just trying to, trying to be... Uh, physically active and take advantage of the warm warm weeks that we've got but I wish there was more sunshine than cloud and rain yeah obviously uh, away from the stresses of uh, of running a football club eh? oh gosh yeah <laughs> that's uh, it's, a, it's a long time in the rearview mirror but uh, never to be forgotten that's for sure yeah now obviously yourself you're lifelong Wednesday fan aren't you so like, when, when did it all begin for you for you then with, with Sheffield Wednesday when did the, the whole journey begin so to speak well, it, it, it was a, a bit of mysticism created by by me dad. Uh, he was sadly no longer with us. Um, he, um, he joined the army and dragged us all over Europe. Uh, so I, I was described to him. Uh, he, he described Sheffield Wednesday to me. And it was made out to be so magical. It was like, well, when, when can we on? When can we go again? And, um, you know, it, it's interesting, actually, because in, throughout throughout my early years he never spoke about the other club in the city so uh, I, I was kind of numb to it as opposed to most Wednesday or Unitedites are told by their parents to hate the other team <laughs> I, I, I fundamentally didn't care because I didn't know about them until we actually moved back yeah. and, and then you know we left the army and we, we moved back in Sheffield uh, right at the beginning of the 80s and 1982 was my first games you know and Jack, Jack Charlton cold wet nights and I think my earliest memory was standing right at the bottom of that corner on a windy and rainy night when Andy McCulloch murdered about you know four defenders and the goalkeeper and the ball and everything ended up in the net and that that was that was me done yeah well I've got yeah, no shame in that. saying that that's that's well before my time <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> then people talk, I put a tweet out the other day and I said, you know, um, without without um, sharing how old you are, like share who your first like first players that you that you can remember. And there were some people yeah. were coming out with some players, and I must admit, I didn't even they could have they could have said anyone because I didn't know some of these players even played for Sheffield Wednesday. Only until yeah. I, until I looked looked them up. Obviously, me, I, yeah, I, were, I was born in '89, so for me. Um, my earliest memories are, are like Gerald Sabon and, and people. Well, and people relegation like that. from the Premier League. It, that is yeah. that is, that is then, my earliest memory. First, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So so obviously yeah. So it all it all began from there for you. Did we season ticket older as well? Were you after that? No, I couldn't afford it back then. Oh. No, no, it was uh, it was uh, pay as and when. And I, I used to walk down. Um, we lived um, down the bottom of Woods Avenue. Uh, next to Montini School, and I used to um, walk down and sometimes get the bus back if we could sneak on with a couple of pee. So, you know, you, you'd blow your mind how much the bus would cost. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you supported Sheffield Wednesday, and obviously throughout the glory years, so to speak, didn't we? Especially like the like the early nineties as 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 well. Um, yeah. Although well, you know, it was it was a massive disappointment disappointment getting relegated. But that, that that season where David Hurst were just on fire, in, yeah. in, you know, at the traps against Hull, 
Um, and at that, that point, I was sitting on the north stand and, uh, you know, watching him fly past defenders yeah. and outskill the best midfielders, that that was proper mental. Yeah. Did you did you go to Wembley for any of those? Uh... I you know I, I I got I got the League Cup final. Yeah. Um, that that was amazing because at the time my dad was doing quite well with a business he'd set up, so um, we um, booked out a Greek restaurant nearby. Most of you know that time I was actually living in London, working most of the time, mm-hmm. and um, booked out a Greek restaurant nearby, and we were in with a bunch of other Wednesday nights in the seating that was suspended from the roof at Old Wembley. All right. And, you know, bouncing in that, that was proper dangerous. You know, I'm up in the grandstand nowadays when it, and, you know, I remember the cop bouncing as well. It yeah. wobbles, but that, yeah. that ring at Upper Wembley, that was moving big time. There was a couple of feet movement on that, yeah. uh, but we didn't care. That was amazing. And then, you know, to put a bit of a downer on it, the family business uh, had gone bust going into all those uh, 93, 94 finals. All right, okay. And I was on the dole. I, I, I couldn't I couldn't afford to go to those games. Right. Um, and, you know, just, just to top the misery on as well, um, there have been no national insurance payments uh, maintained as part of that family business going bust. Right, um, okay. So I ended up being told by the NHS they wouldn't treat my two wisdom teeth that were coming through you know, I'm I'm 20 old, two wisdom teeth, no pain relief and no removal. So I'm sat there with painful jaw and beans on toast, which was my staple meal, uh, listening to it and, and watching it on, on TV. And yeah, I'd love to have been able to go. Yeah. So obviously after then, obviously you got into business and you're, uh, was it Plusnet, was it that you're... Uh, yeah, it's so... Incredibly fortunate, a massive privilege to build that that business from scratch. You know that that put me in a place where money wasn't a worry, uh, where it had been a big worry previously. Yeah, uh, you know, dole all the way through to you know listing on the stock exchange and then selling out to BT and you know having comfortable money, not mega rich, but comfortable money. Yeah, and then it, it was in that latter part of Plusnet. You know, we, we sponsored. Wednesday, um, I actually paid two and a half times the asking amount in the sponsorship All right, to okay. try and generate as much income as possible for the club, um, not realising what was going on in the club. Yeah. Uh, but the bonus, but it wasn't really a bonus. If you're a major sponsor, you you actually get invited into the boardroom and hanging out with people. Right. Okay. And that was the nightmare. You know, I, I got invited into the boardroom. And from my perspective... Football was on the up. The future was always going to be digital-based interaction. Was that quite exciting for you? The idea of it was, yeah, but the reality was a disaster because, you know, I'd got this vision of, you know, football, massive growth business. It's going to be huge globally with billions of people, big new TV deals, and then it's all going to go into that. I walked into the boardroom and it was full of people that had been there since the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Who had no concept of, you know, back then, you know, back when it was our so-called glory years, TV deals were measured in the tens of millions. It's now in the billions and it should be in the tens of billions. They have no concept of that economic value and they didn't realise the stakes. They were just worried about the local politics within Sheffield and using 
the position as a directorship of Sheffield Wednesday as a status symbol in the Sheffield, Sheffield business community. And I, just, I looked at it and went, oh my God, you guys are a set of idiots. You don't know what's at stake here. You know, things like Man City are going to happen. Multi-billion platforms are going to get built. And if we're asleep at the wheel, we'll miss out on all of this. And then, yeah. you know, by this point, I had understood who Sheffield United was. And seeing them get grant money to develop a training ground in the heart of Parson Cross, whilst these idiots were looking at each other going, what, you know, what, what are we going to have for pudding in the next match? And, you know, and who, who's going to be the next chairman in a merry-go-round of their circle of friends? No, um, that, that, was the, that was the sort of the questions that they were, that they were asking yeah. in the meetings. Well, you know, they, they, what, what the primary interest to them was how much they were fiddling the taxman on the cash takings in, at the gate receipts. No concept of the multi-billion value of a football club. Right, no. Okay. Yeah. So in their minds, you know, you know, they were still back in the um, you know, 90s and going, well, we, we could put a team together and get back in the top four or five. It was like, no, you've got to, get proper ownership into this, get proper investment behind it, because football is going to be a massive business. And I just saw them not looking at it in the right way. And then underneath that, you know, because I'd been around quietly in the background, I'd got loads of people who worked at the club telling me about stuff that was going on, you know, okay. from mismanagement through to corruption. So I was like, on the one level, these guys don't understand the value of football. We can't be falling behind now. We yeah. can't let Sheffield United overtake as a, corporate entity and then the other they've got no idea what all the corruption is doing and killing morale in the football side and also on on the non-football side yeah so you know i foolishly decided to approach them and say hey guys you know, you've got yourselves into a bit of dead end here do you do you want to let me try and clean this up and find some new owners um you know probably shouldn't have made that proposal i probably should have kept <laughs> my mouth shut and, and hindsight, carried on yeah trying to enjoy the game. Yeah. I mean, that, that was going to be my next question. You know, how did it all come about, you know, for you becoming chairman, but obviously you've just, you've just answered that, answered that one there. Um, I mean, did you, I'm, I'm guessing it was never perhaps like your dream or whatever to, to own a football club or anything like that. It just kind of, oh, it just no. kind of happened, God, no. didn't it really? It, well, it, again, there was a, to quote Baldrick, cunning plan as to getting, get on the inside, get, get a cleanup done and but get new owners in and get these guys out. And, and to be fair to them, they had their own Baldrick cunning plan of letting me clean it up and take it on themselves. And neither of those quite worked out. Uh, but no, my plan all along was never to have any profile. Originally, you know, I'd spoken to Howard Wilkinson about helping figure out everything on the football side and for him to be chairman. And towards the end of, of of the early engagement, he turned around and said he'd been blocked by his executive at the League Managers Association because uh, they were concerned about a conflict of interest with him chairing the League Managers Association and potentially chairing Sheffield Wednesday. Club, yeah. And then, you know, it's re relatively well publicised. You know, I have Asperger's. You know, the last thing I want to be doing is... Um, putting myself in, in the middle of something where it's quite noisy and there's lots of lots going on. And it's not a quiet life being the first football club. No, no but, certainly you know, not Sheffield Wednesday as well. No, no. Yeah. I mean, I mean uh, one of the, I mean, we ask uh, people for, for questions as well. We've had, uh, we've had one question. Cause obviously I know you, um, 
as Plusnet, obviously you sponsored uh, you sponsored the club. But then when you uh, when when you were chairman, obviously you made the decision to uh, to not have a well. We did have a sponsor, but obviously it was the uh, children children's hospital charity, weren't it? Sheffield yeah. Children's Hospital. So um, the question from from Daryl, he said, you know, the, the decision to offer the sponsorship of shirt for free to a great cause. Was this a commercial mistake? Uh, you must have known that Sheffield Wednesday needed the money desperately and soon would end up in high court over unpaid tax bill. Um, so, yeah, did, did looking back, did you think that was a mistake or do you still stand by that that decision? Well, it, it, I, I, well, just to comment on the question first, there was a massive time difference between that deal being done yeah. and the winding up orders. Yeah. A massive time difference and a lot of other things happen, much of which is well documented. But focusing on that one decision, um, we actually had an offer, and I won't name name the person because it's not fair to them, from a, another Wednesday night to sponsor, sponsor the club for what would have been going rate right at that time. Yeah. Uh, and we did gamble in saying no with the full support of this third party who went on to have a an ongoing relationship, including commercial spend, uh, but not quite a level of main sponsor. Um, because we knew that if we put the children's hospital on the front of a Puma kit, that we'd go from selling four or 5,000 kits a year, which was going on before that decision, to selling 20,000. Yeah. And we did. Yeah. And the, the real proceeds of a real kit, not a dodgy kit, <laughs> yeah. selling in their masses generated more net revenue for Sheffield Wednesday than the actual sponsorship that we turned down. Right. So, so I'll be forever some... grateful. And by the way, it was contracted. There was a contract agreed with another Wednesday fan to sponsor the club and put his firm's name on, on the shirt and, and everything else. Yeah. So the, and, money, basically know, the, money, he... the money just came from somewhere else, didn't it really? It came from the shirt yeah, sales it... as opposed from the, uh, from the sponsorship. Correct. 4,000 yeah. 4, shirts shifted to 20. And do the math. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. It makes. Uh... Uh, and then on top of that, I think it was massively important after all of the horribleness that Sheffield Wednesday had been associated with in the previous ten years to do so much good with such a brand, and it was yeah. such a Sheffield thing to do as well because the children's hospital is so important. Oh, it's massive. To most yeah. people in the region. Yeah, I, I did a uh, London, London to Paris bike ride uh, quite, quite about ten years ago now. But I did that for the Sheffield Children's Hospital because uh, Touchwood have not had to be no, I have not had to be there for uh, for a long time, and, and I don't think. Uh, well, I hope that my kids don't have to go there. Uh, you know, yeah. when they're kids, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it is. You know, it's a it's a big part. Not not many you know not many uh, cities have a dedicated children's hospital, do they? So uh, no. but yeah, it's a it's a it's a great cause. I mean. Um, the next next question. I mean, did you obviously when you when you approached Sheffield Wednesday, did you realise how much of a big task it would have it would have been like at the time? Did you like, over it? Did you like, underestimate it? Yeah, definitely underestimated. I mean, as I said earlier, we'd heard lots, um, but the full horror was not revealed until after we were in situ. You know, right. we'd heard lots of rumours, lots of specific points, but. I think there were two two fundamental things uh, that came into play. Uh, one, um, all of the information that we were given coming into it around the finances in the club were just wrong. They were not reflective of the reality. Right. Um, and in that 
that's the bigger issue that led to the winding up process. Yeah. Um, and and two, uh, lots of really toxic things that made it impossible to bring quali- quality investors in. Uh, I mean, some of the things that had gone on, um, you know, I, I guess the worst example of which is you the minutes of all the board meetings relating to the crush and then the, the Hillsborough disaster, um, where you know the directors of the board at that time have never been held accountable in any true sense. Mm-hmm. But you know, it was a fifteen thousand pound decision based on a recommendation by Eastwoods to make the Leppings Lane end much less dangerous than it was. Fifteen thousand pound decision, and, and the Wednesday board at the time decided. Now we can just have some stewards standing there. We don't just shell out 15 grand. Yeah, have some stewards right. standing there and telling people to go left and right, don't come down this tunnel, please. Yeah, and, well. you know, it, 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 that is just an example of a whole bunch of things that had gone on that meant that it would be very difficult or nigh impossible to get any credible institutional investment to step in there uh, with all of that legacy still being in place, as, as in not clear them out of the way. There's yeah. an element of being overconfident in your own ability if you've done things, been successful. Yep. Uh, but I think the last thing, the most crucial bit was we were told that all of the uh, loan note holders and associated equity was a willing seller and they were aligned and they weren't. Yeah. You know, they, I think Dave Allen would rather it all went up in flames. I was about to say Dave Allen didn't, didn't get a deal done. He didn't want to negotiate at all, did he? No. Yeah. So, you know, don't get me wrong, I and the people around me made mistakes in that process. Absolutely did. But fundamentally, it was broken and uninvestable, and we never got the real picture until we are in. And then it took us a whole bunch of time and effort to, you know, dig the crap out, get the foundations cleaned up. Yeah. But the consequence of that was one relegation, and I never got to see through what would happen next. I never got to see... What I really cared about was cleaning it up and then making sure the right type of owners came in next. Yeah. I never got to be involved in that last bit of making sure the right type of owners came in next. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you say like investment and stuff, obviously that, that reflected on the pitch as well, didn't it? I mean, I just look, just looking, we signed quite a few loans that uh, that season. Uh, I think we made, I think uh, there were a couple a couple of signings that we made. Let me just have a have a look. There was. Uh, where is it now? Darren Potter, I think, was the only person that we that we that we, yeah. that we bought. Uh, Tommy Miller came in, and Darren Purse. I think they were the other two permanent uh, signings that we that we made. I mean, how how involved were you in the process of of the signing of the players? Not not very. Um, you know, obviously, I'm involved because you know the chairman of the football club is is facilitating and auditing what's going on, as in monitoring. But I went into this whole process leaning heavily on Howard as the brains yeah. on the football side. And, you know, the, 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 I think the most important thing that Howard said to me was, if you do this, you have to not be a fan. You have to be a businessman and you have to turn off all the fan stuff because yeah. your job is actually just to support the manager. I mean, just, and just question just on, the manager. Just on that one, just interrupt. Sam Thompson, he's also said, kind of, uh, you mentioned it there, did being a Wednesday fan hinder your decisions as, as chairman? That kind of leads on to that one, I suppose. It, it, it didn't hinder the decisions. It just made my life a misery because as a Wednesday fan inside, I'm like, I want to say and do this. But 
the institution requires me to say and do this, especially given how badly it had been run from a custodianship perspective before. Yeah. On the one side and then the football side, I like this kind of football, these kind of players. And I've got to stop myself from saying, can we play this kind of football and sign these kind of players? All I can literally do is say, you know, I work with two managers, Brian Laws and Alan Irving. All I can do is say, what's your plan? Describe it to me, purely to get them to describe a plan. And yeah. then are you happy with A, B, C and D? And just to get the response and then go, well, I support what you're doing. The board will support what you're doing best of luck in the next lottery, which is a game of football. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a very professional thing that you have to do, but me as a Wednesday fan, it was so frustrating and depressing. Yeah, I, I wanted to say all the things, but you can't. Yeah. You have to, uh, yeah. Take your fan hat off, I suppose, don't you? And, uh, and put your business, because football is yeah. a business, isn't it? I mean, uh, it, I don't oh, think, well, it wasn't, and but, but now it very much, it very much is, isn't it? It, it is, but also not the money side. It, it's organisationally a business because, you know, and again, schooled by Howard, he gave me a lot of hours and then, then I saw it in, at, you know, firsthand. You know, the difference between professional football and everything else is professional football is all paid in, played in the top 1% of skill yeah. of people. And the Premier League is played in the top 0.1%. Yeah. The championship a chunk below that, League One a chunk below that, and League Two a chunk below that. And the difference between success and failure is collective mentality. Yeah. And what undermines failure is disruption and disorganisation and a breaking of trust. So actually, it's a you know it's a it's a group confidence trick to convince people to risk injury and perform at the highest level. And anything you have that upsets the apple undermines that. So. Whether or not you've got money, the board and whoever interacts between the board and the manager has to be all about making sure that the most important person in the football club is the manager so that players don't question the manager. Yeah. <laughs> so they'll all buy into his ethos. And the challenge is, you know, 20-odd players, how do you keep the players that are not playing happy and supportive? Yeah. And, you know, I think we're seeing that right now with the spirit that Darren Moore's putting into the football club that reminds yeah. me of the spirit that Howard Wilkinson built and others have attempted. Yeah. But various things off the field have stopped them from building a good group mentality. I mean, when we spoke to Jose Semedo, he said it during, at that at that point when uh, when we got promoted that um, even the players on the bench were happy as well. Like even though they weren't playing, that the whole yeah. the whole club, you know, the whole the players were were happy with what what was happening. They were happy to sit on the bench and wait for their time to to play yeah. and what and what have you. So you, I think you're you're right in what you're saying. I mean, you've mentioned the two managers that were that were there during your time, Brian Laws and Alan Irvine. What what were your relationship with uh, with both of both of them? What well, like? it was very different for both because you know I I saw Brian Laws as probably the most effective Sheffield Wednesday manager in our history. Mm -hmm. Because I had six months before interacting with him, uh, building my relationship with the then CEO, who was an absolute nightmare, and the board that weren't much better. And and so, you know, things like, um, you know, they'd, uh, without talking to him, co-opted Brian into um, putting his name to suing the fans, um, you know, and that causing a rift and exposing Brian. And when he then turned around and went, well, I didn't 
actually sign anything to do this and you've said that I'm supportive of you suing the fans and I'm not, um, you know, they wanted rid, but they weren't willing to pay him. <laughs> and, and he wouldn't quit because, he, you know, he'd married into the club. He, oh, yes. a massive, massive Wednesday fan. Yep, yep. And, you know, cares passionately about the club. And he won't he won't quit and he could have got you know other jobs paid okay and not had a mental nightmare. So what did they do with him? Well, they just made his job a misery. You know, I, it was incredible. We, we spoke to Brian the- and, he, and he said at one point uh, he he said well, you can have whoever you want. Um, so he put a li- he put a, he said put, give us a list of players. So I think he had like at least the five or six players. And he said he said to us tell me tell me you know have a, have a guess at which player I got. And he said it was like his fifth yeah. or fifth or sixth choice. And, you know, weren't, yeah. even, weren't even his you know top four. Didn't, didn't even get a, a sniff on that one. He got his you know fifth and sixth choice. Must have been Francis yeah. Jeffers, I think. Uh, so, someone like that. Who yeah. we, who we signed. I mean, I mean, he's too good to name names, but yeah, that. And then on the other 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 end of the scale, they got three balls to train with. Three footballs. <laughs> this is Sheffield Wednesday Football Club. But they, they did all sorts to make his life a misery. So they turn around and go, you know, I'm quitting, I'm gone. Um, yeah. And, and he didn't. And so I, I came in with, with Brian and I, I saw the whole club mentally damaged. And there was a big effort to rebuild confidence. I mean, they, they'd even, you know, as part of all of the games, they tried to set Sean McCauley, who was running the academy, up against Brian to undermine each other. Yeah. And so there's an element of detoxifying all of that, making them have a, you know, enabling them to have a good relationship again and trying uh, to, to put them in a place to build the club spirit again. And, you know, it, 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 you know I, I just think the way we were misled over the, the financing and, and the inevitable result of needing to do a fire sale on players too late, you know, that just killed that entire season. And there are other contributing factors as well, there always is, but, you know, going into it on a shoestring and going, here you are, you're not getting messed around anymore. This is your yeah. team. You can play the season. And then you can, you know, the only saleable assets we've got are, are Marcus Tudgay and, and Richard Wood and Tommy Spur and, and, um, and Mark Beavers. And you're going to have to sell maybe two of those Yeah. when the transfer window's closed. <laughs> it was like... Yeah, and, and from that things implode, and and you know, you know, it, it come to a point where, um, me and and Howard and you know, we didn't think that Brian could keep going, and it, it was almost a case of he'd done well to survive the nightmare before, but be built back up again and let down. Yeah, and he may may or may not have done. We'll never know because you know we we made the decision to move him on, and then. Bringing Alan in, you know, that that was a process led unofficially because he had to be unofficially by Howard. This is how you recruit a manager, sounding out the potentials. You know, I, I did some interviews as part of the process, but, you know, I, I was being led by by Howard and all that. Um, Alan comes in. Um, we try and be straight with him about the situation as it stands. Uh, we try and manage expectations about any sort of investment or takeover being unlikely assume it's unlikely until it happens. Yeah. Um, and you, you saw what happened, you know, he didn't manage to keep us up and then it all really went to pot in that following year. Yeah. I mean, just looking at the, the squad that we had that, that year, it were a decent squad, weren't it? You know, the, the players that we had, 
you know, shouldn't have perhaps been in that in that position. Like you just mentioned a few more already. You know, Marcus Marcus Tud guy, Tommy Spur, Lee Grant, uh, you had Jermaine Johnson, um, Liam Palmer were up and up and coming then. I mean, yeah. Francis Jeffers, which is probably the biggest flop that we've uh, that we've ever had. But on pa- on paper, when you look at the when you look you know, at the squad, if, if he put that header in against Crystal Palace, that <laughs> transfer might have been worth it. <laughs> I don't think it was. No. And I'd love to see the money flows on that Francis Jeffers transfer and who got paid what. Uh, but no, he, 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 fourth or fifth choice and absolutely not worth it. But if he'd put that header in on that open goal against Crystal Palace, then yeah, maybe, but probably not now. Yeah, think, yeah, things could have been a whole lot different then, couldn't they? Definitely. I mean, yeah. you, you, t- you touched on you know the, the interviews and stuff. That, that, that's a question that I was going to ask. Like, what... What happens in these in these interviews? What sort of you know everyone's had a job interview. Um, yeah, I mean, but what sort of questions get asked to a manager in, it's, a, it's in an interview? Pretty much the same as a job interview. You know, what's your plan? What's your ambition? What do you want to do with the role? And and yeah. what you're doing is you're judging the human as they present, and you're sitting there and going, "Do I feel convinced that this person can convince others to bring them with them?" And you know. All I'm doing in my capacity at that point is is making a judgment as part of a team on the human. I'm not in a position to judge their technical capability. That you know that was Howard's gambit, but that that's where we were really an advantage because if, you know there's not many people in football that know football footballers and people in football coaching better than Howard Wilkinson. He's pretty much trained them all, yeah. built that football centre that the England team has come out of. Um, so we were a massive advantage there, and yeah, because that was know, a decision that you made quite early on to bring Howard in, weren't it? Like that, as I said to you early on, it, it, it was there it, day one. I was never going to offer my help at, at Wednesday if Howard wasn't going to help in the background as well. Um, so yeah, I've I've no idea how things would have played out with him without him being involved. I think for sure I wouldn't have got involved at all. Yeah, I mean, going on to Alan, it, it was a a totally different type of manager than like, well, to be fair, you perhaps couldn't really call him a manager. He was more of a, he was more of a coach, weren't it? To be, to be perfectly honest in, in his, yeah. in his, um, in his way of uh, thinking and, and the people that we've, that we spoke to some of the, the, the players that, that played under him had just the utmost respect for him and, uh, and, yeah. couldn't, and couldn't praise him highly enough. But as a yeah. fan, as a fan and, um, and, and Jamie often, often talks about this is, it, it, it didn't it didn't show any emotion did it and as a and as a fan sometimes that's what you, that's what you want you want the yeah, you know yeah. you want you want the running down you know brian laws running down the uh, touchline at Bramall yeah, Lane, waving the scarf yeah. waving the scarf yeah. that, that that's as a fan that's what you want you want them to you know you, you put your you know um way heart in your sleeve and, and you kind of want the manager to do the same and, and even though this is the thing as a fan you don't all you see is the 90 minutes of football and you might obviously nowadays you see all the things on the social media and stuff like that. But back then, yeah. all you see is the football, and you might read something in the in the star. That's that's yeah, that's yeah. about it. You don't see all the things going on behind the scenes and and things. But yeah, like I said, Alan was a a totally different manager, and um, yeah, like I said, more more of a coach. Would you would you agree? Why well, you know I, I think you're right in what you say about all the players that play for him. Super respecting. Um, interestingly, you know. Um, it, Alan was super funny uh, in in person, but he it's just Glaswegian football person. You, you get brought up in a certain way. Yeah, it's all serious. 
it's all serious. And, you know, I think it's interesting because in my time, we've we've had Jack, who was a character, but not laugh a minute around football. He was deadly serious about football, but a big character. Yeah. So we looked up to him as a character. Howard was fucking miserable. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Miserable. Brilliant as a human being. Miserable as a football manager. Yeah. Uh, I think we all got spoiled with Ron Atkinson. You know, yeah. you, you have that much level of of FFS character and, and intrigue and cheekiness. And, and, and you know, you compare it to that. But no, you're right. I mean, uh, Brian, Brian was much more um, uh, emotional in front of Wednesday nights and, and Alan was super professional. It's interesting watching Darren Moore now. He's super calm. Yeah. You know? Uh, and I think that's a good thing in, in today's football. I don't, I don't think we're footballers now so pampered the way they are, so expectant of things the way they are, that you can have these big characters anymore. But yeah. We seem to want him as Wednesday nights. <laughs> yeah, Lee, if I seen him, Jamie's just uh, yeah. Jamie's just hey, joining yo. us. You got the kids I, to bed now, <laughs> I I've put the kids to bed that I haven't got Lee. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, when we stop recording, I'll explain what's what yeah, no I've been doing. But, yeah. um, basically, I, I'm, I'm guessing James has already said this. If anyone can do this by themselves, if we need it, then it's James because yeah. he's the main man. Yeah. He's the main man, but. Um, before we carry on, I just want to thank you myself for coming on. I appreciate it. You've always got back to me. You've you've been really respectful. You've always got back to me. You've been class. So you know, with me, Lee, what I've said to people because when I when we spoke to ex players, things like that, I've said to so many players. I think, and they've understood. I've said why it hasn't worked out for some managers. Why, like, even though Mason left and it ended up being unbelievable that we went up. It's because of how passionate he is and what he was like that you loved him. So, like, when you've got people, I don't know. So, for example, Joss, Joss Lukahai, when when he were there, right, he's not going to... If we, if we scored at United in last minute after Dawson saved that penalty, he's not going to go and run and slide on his knees no, and kiss no. and whatever. So, like, as a, as a manager, with Gray, with someone like Stuart Gray, for example, all we've heard is amazing things about him. And like, yeah. a, bit like my, a bit like my dad, with my dad... If he shouts at me, he's fine. But if he looks at me disappointed, yeah. that bothers me more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as a manager, as a manager, thinking back to Stuart Gray, you can imagine that's what sort of coach he were, sort of yeah. like dad figure. But all we want as as player, as as fans, as the players that have played from that support, and all we want is a bit of passion. So when you see on sideline Carlos, it's impossible not to like him. Wait, what yeah. he's like, and yeah. Brian Laws, Brian Laws kissing. Yeah. It's impossible not to like him. So it doesn't matter how good the manager is if he's passionate. You, you love it. So they get longer in the job, etc. But going back to it, because I don't know what you have spoke about and I'm going to obviously listen back. I want to know yeah, from no. you, from from a, a chairman point of view, you can hear all the stuff under the sun. You can hear so many things, but you can't even imagine how stressful it is. I want to hear from you two things. So first thing, Lee, is as as a chairman, how involved are you with players? So how many... Pers- so say when you were chairman, is there a player that, the, the manager didn't like, somebody else didn't like, the players didn't like, but you liked that you you told the manager to keep or the other way around. Is there a player that wanted too much money that you were saying you didn't want to... Do you know what I mean? I, I, I hear you. So, as, a, as I was saying um, a bit earlier, um, I got involved at Wednesday purely on the basis of Howard Wilkinson being part of the team. And, and, you know, I had to put aside being a Wednesday as part of that process. 
Because right. Howard are very clear, this is how football clubs work and this is how they don't work. And the role of a chairman is to be the executive manager of another person in an executive position, the football manager. And the right. football manager is actually the chief executive. They are the big name. They are the presence. They represent the ethos of the club and everyone has to see them as the power base. And anything that's done to undermine that undermines the ability to manage the herd of cats that is 20-odd footballers all with egos. So, you know, you know, I had very little to do. I think the only direct conversation I had with a player in a negotiation was to with Marcus Tudgay to finalise putting the deal together. And that's because he wanted a personal conversation with the person that was trying to get new investment in and didn't want to sign a contract. Right. Unless he did so. I didn't seek it. He, he asked for it. And so now I, I very much adopted the Howard Wilkinson school of how football clubs should be run, which, made, as I said earlier, made my life as a Wednesday out of misery because there were a load of things, there were a shit ton of things I wanted to say and do as a Wednesday, do as a Wednesday eye. But as a person trying to act as a credible chairman and put in the rearview mirror a lot of the shit and nastiness that had emanated yep. from directors of our club, I had to do, you know, right times 10 uh, by what Howard was saying. So no personal interests, no ideas. And it was just a line management responsibility and trying to be supportive of someone that was actually running things in the club. And that's the manager. One other thing I want to mention, Lee, um, pre-season, that season, they went, yeah. to Mal- they went to Malta, didn't they? Yeah. But how how involved were you, were you in that in that decision of going to... Who, who, who made that decision? Who said, we're going to Malta? Because we spoke to a few players... One yeah. in particular, Tommy Spur. He he's still he's still trying to find out who stagged it were. By the way, yeah. <laughs> so um, we we brought in a consulting business uh, to look at options. There were three options, and Malta was one of the options. And I had some personal connections there that helped facilitate some of the logistics. Uh, but the decision on where to go was Brian's. It was his choice. Um, but I think more pertinent to the stag do thing, there was uh, two two variables in in the decision. One, go somewhere really hot or less hot. Yeah. Less hot would have been more work into the legs. More work into the legs might have done better for the season. Yep. Uh, and two, there was a t- choice of two hotels right in the middle of where all the fans were staying or at the other side of the island. Because the training yeah. happened up at the main Maltese football facilities. Right. Uh, right. And so nice grass. Um, so there's two options. Boring hotel, miles away from the fans, or hotel right in the middle of Party Central. Yeah, on the strip. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, uh, and looking back, uh, that's where me being benign should have been more, I should have been different. I should have been a bit more forceful in things. Yeah. Um, but now I helped organize it because I had people, I had relationships on the island. It's got fam- family history there. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it was it was a decision made. But I, I'd say as well, again, the connection that was established between all the fans that went on that trip and the yeah. clubs, it was like 5,000 Wednesday nights there. Yeah. And again, after all the shit that had gone on, the distrust that had been built up, that was a good thing, but I think the one thing would have been the hotel on the other side of the island to stop the players from partying. Yeah, so probably we, we, would have been the right answer. So, was you there as well, Lee? Yeah, I was there. I was, I was there 
organizing all the fan engagements and cleaning I thought up. You might say organizing all the nights out then. <laughs> God no, no. We heard that you asked to be chairman at Maltese Airport. <laughs> what? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. Well, I'll t- I'll t- I'll t- I will tell you a funny story. As I mentioned earlier, um, I had my health challenges. I again, I wasn't. The plan wasn't to be chairman. The plan was for Howard to be chairman. I'd got major surgeries as part of all my weight loss stuff planned. Um, you know, I I, I had um, a belt lipectomy procedure. Um, you know, it, it just in that, um, you know, straight off of the back of Malta trip, um, and, and it's a very heavy surgery where they remove all the excess skin around around your waist, but also cut through all your core muscles. So it was um, um, a massive impact. And I should have been away for three months recovering from that, but I won't. Um, and that, that's just my stupidness of trying to do something. But I, I will tell you the funny story. Again, it's all related to my health challenges. Um, the moment I was uh, confirmed as chairman in a board meeting, I was struggling with my bowel movements in the toilet. So I wasn't even the room when it happened, you know, to, to quote, quote the, um, um, you know, the, um, Lee, I've got to interrupt there because I can't even imagine having problems with your because me, I'm not being big headed, but mine's yeah. not small, but I can't piss in front of anyone in a toilet. Yeah. Like, I feel like, I feel like the second I go to a cubicle, it's like weakest link <laughs> where there's eight people there watching me. Like, and I just, I just feel like everybody's watching me and I get to a point where then I go, Right, I've pretended to wean, I leave, and then wait for everyone to leave, and then go back in. Like, I get it. <laughs> well, any, anybody who's had weight loss surgery will know that if you have picked the wrong thing to eat and you've got stress going on, you, you, your stomach has a negative reaction. And, um, yeah, I, I'd not quite picked the right thing to eat and stress was going on, so the point where the decision was made for us to be made directors and me to be made chairman, I, I was stuck in the loo for a good half hour. I wasn't there at all. <laughs> maybe maybe I should never have been there in the first place. <laughs> I can't even imagine that Giles will take piss. James will try and take piss. When I always say this, when we have someone on, I'm not going to say you're my favourite ever Wednesday player. You didn't play for Wednesday. I'm not going <laughs> yeah. to say you're my idol. Like Samira. I'm going to say to you, yeah. as, as the job you had, Thinking back then, I can remember when I was a kid going at matches and least after this, least after this, not one chairman ever, ever, right, that has got an easy job at Wednesday. Like Alan, he were hated. You, you've done your job, but no one sees what goes off behind scenes. Chancire, uh, Mandovic, yeah, you left on a good note. Chancire is the best guy that's ever been invented on the planet and he's, this is that. And then we don't go up, his plan didn't work. So the two things I were going to say is, one, it must have been so difficult, mental health-wise, for you, right? Because you can't win. As a, as a chairman, you can't win. You you put money in, it's not enough. If you don't put money in, you're not putting any money in. If oh, Wednesday go down, it's your fault. I, can, I can't even imagine. But Chancire, do you feel for him in a way? Because me personally, before you answer me, I'm the only one that's a tiny bit stuck up for him because it's all right, everybody's saying, listen, he had this plan. And he didn't have no backup plan. He didn't work. And I agree with that. I agree with that. But the thing is, we were pestering him for roads. We got roads. We had the best players we've ever had. If we did go up, we went up. But whether he had a backup plan or not, he put the money in. He tried to do it and it failed. Yeah, he might not have had the experience, but it's just horrible to see some a human getting all the stick he gets. And I really do think his best intentions were at heart because when we spoke to Glenn Lovins, 
and people like him, it doesn't matter what David on Facebook says, when you've got Glenn Lovins, who's a, f- a footballer, saying he's out in the right place and he might yeah. have messed up or whatever, you just want to sort of... So can you understand where Chancey is sort of... Like, do you feel for him sort of thing? I, I do and I don't. Um, you know, in the same way is, you know, I, I, I feel... Um, uh, I feel sorry for myself for my time there and, and I don't as well, you know. It, 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 my view on, on Dave on Chancery is him and his family came in with the heart in the right place and yeah. have been let down by people that they've trusted to advise them. Right. right? And, and the other element to it as well is when you look at, What's what's worked with foreign owners with foreign culture coming into traditional football clubs? They've created a, 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 something in between them and the football club to allow the ethos of the club to carry on. And you know, a great example of that is the marrying of the Thai culture and, and traditional football values at Leicester. You know, yeah. you, you you do have this Thai family proud culture. But you do have the club is run as a football club, yeah. And the yeah. owners don't get involved in the minutia. Yeah, you know, they put the money up, and they have proper people that are demonstrably trustworthy in place to control things. But now you cannot criticise them wanting to do the right thing. You can't criticise the hundreds of millions of pounds of investors. The criticism is there should have been a CEO and a director of football yeah. in there exactly. since day one. Right. Exactly. There should be no football agents providing advice to owners. And when you do an analysis of the amount of money spent on players that have contributed to minutes on the pitch and contributed to goals being prevented or goals being scored, the vast majority of the Chancery money has gone into players that have not contributed. But agents and shady deals in the backgrounds have benefited massively. And, you know, I just think we're at a place now where, um, you know, one of the strengths of of the Thai culture is pride and doing the right thing. And and that's probably stopping him from going the whole argument. It's it's clear that he's trusting Darren Moore to build the culture in a football club. And that's why players are coming that none of us thought would come, given what had happened in the previous six to 12 months. Um, And it's clear, you know, Liam Dool is trying to do good things. But we're missing that structure where there's a director of football that no one's questioning their financial intents and there's a CEO allowing the Chancery family to enjoy being custodians as opposed to deciding on everything from toilet rolls to multi-million pound contracts. The, the thing is, the thing is about Lee, see, you, you'll, you'll laugh at this and you'll think I'm joking and James, will, James knows I'm serious because he's seen the emails I've got. So at the minute... You might have a go at me for this, but they want me to be the director of football. But I'm too busy getting my ticket. What are you laughing at? I'm too like I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I'm like, going to the gym. So we can all blame you because you're too busy. No, Lee. Yeah, Lee. No, no. This is what I'm saying. It's not funny, right? I've been to the gym yeah. three times this week. I had a, I yeah. had a massive beer belly on, on on Monday. I had a massive beer belly. It's now Tuesday night, and I've got a six pack. And yeah. that's because I'm too busy. So I should take the job, but no. All the joking aside. I've been keeping an eye on you tackling with the health stuff. So don't don't undermine that stuff with the joke. And we all know you ain't being offered the director of football job. No one is. So well, there I'll we tell go. You something. I'll, I'll, in a minute, when we've come off this, I'll, I'll log into my laptop. I'll show you football manager and I bet you a grand I have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, 
Oh, wait, wait. Can, we, can we just go back to, to Dave on Chancery? Go on. You know, yeah. I, I, I think it's amazing that we've had their investment. And yeah. they yeah. really have wanted to do whatever it could could take. But I just think if they if they go that one more step now, they've been empowered and managed to manage. If they just put the right structure around that, they'll enjoy being custod- custodians of this football club and get themselves out of the minutiae. And, you know, Lee, then it's funny, it's, it, working. It, it's funny though, isn't it? Because go back three months, Chan Siri out, get him out of the club, don't know what he was doing, this, that and the other. I backed him, James, didn't I? Yeah, you did. How many times have you heard anyone say that in the re- in the past two or three weeks? Well, when you went in, that goes away. But, you know, I think reality, there's no getting him out of the club. They're, they are 200-odd million in. <laughs> right? Know, yeah. So it, it, it's premiership, and then maybe they might consider, but I doubt it, because there's no problem then. It's about everyone figuring out how to run Sheffield Wednesday properly. That's it. Lee, Lee, as a chairman, as a chairman, so we're fans, me and James, you're a fan now, but as me and James said that we're going out to the pub and we hear about a new guy coming out to have a drink with us who plays five-a-side beers and we've all got opinions on him. A player's coming to sign for Wednesday and when a player comes to sign, like Jordan Rhodes, people are saying, is this, is that, everyone's got their own opinions. As a chairman, when Mandrich took over and when Chansiri took over, as a chairman, and you might know a bit more about us or not, do you see things different? So when Mandrich took over, we just thought we needed anyone to get us out of shit. So when Chancery took over from Mandrich, as from your point of view, not as a fan, hoping, like, because he always said he'd leave us in the best way he possibly could, right, oh. Mandrich? And we love that. But when Chancery took over, you don't, no one knows much about him and stuff. What Was you really dubious? Was you thinking it's what they need? Was you thinking this random guy's the right person? What did you think straight away? So, well, comment on Mandrich first. Um, you know, through Howard and through the discussions I'd had in football, I knew exactly who Milan Madrid was. And most Wednesday fans see him through rose-tinted glasses. You know, Milan Madrid himself told me his model. Um, You know, he read that fateful game away at Leicester. And he said to me, I nearly bought Wednesday, me and and my backers. And, and, you know, it'd be a great club, but I'm here now and we're going to do good stuff here and sell it on soon. Um, you know, he told me his model. His model was, you know, take some money wherever you can find it, and often means grey sources, and then have PR going way beyond your actual plan. And he was really good at that, really good at overselling, and run a football club nickel and dime, avoid an implosion, take something at a pound, sell it for a fiver. You know, yeah. and so whenever he said, I'm going to leave this in the hands of the right people, I, I took that with a pinch of salt. He was only ever on a money game with a good PR piece in front of it. Um, when when the Chancery family got involved, I took comfort from uh, the, the, the family business. You know, I, I looked at that and went, OK, we're going to have an interesting uh, cultural challenge of mega wealthy people dealing yeah. with a work, working class club and the culture of Thailand and the culture of, of Sheffield and South Yorkshire. But I took comfort from, they've built one of the world's biggest businesses. They've got proper governance around that. They should be able to figure this out. And I became concerned when I didn't see them get rid of everybody that had been working under Mandrich at a senior yeah. level. Yeah. You know, it, it was the football advisors really? and, and the senior people that never went 
uh, that that's where I started to get concerned. And then obviously not seeing a director of football and not seeing a CEO. And then all the things that have happened have been in absence of somebody like a Howard Wilkinson or a Mike Rigg or a Brian Marwood, all Wednesday people that could have avoided a load of money being wasted. Some of it's our money, by the way, because, you know, it's right for us to acknowledge the hundreds of millions that the Chancery family have put in. But Wednesdayites have put their hands in the pocket as well, and most of the money that us Wednesdayites have put in has gone to waste through dodgy dealings. Not what Chancery wanted, but... You know, he's having to sit there and write checks into a horrible world of football. It is amazing to listen to because like, there's so many views on this. Like James Pursley, he, he's the one, he, James is the one that, yeah, but he's took over. Is that self-absorbed, the grounds, Chancery on the letters on the North Stand? Like, I don't even think about that. Like, I think about things like that. Some fans see things different. With Mandarich, I think somebody who's 70, whatever year old, who can take over when he doesn't need the money, you just see things differently. You feel like, yeah, you just trust what, what him. What makes you think he didn't need the money? Well, but that's what I mean. I don't know. But I don't know. I don't know. This <laughs> he wasn't a wealthy man. You, you just touched on it then, right? When you said, you know, people are just all they'll remember is the is the relegation. That that game, I can I can remember it like it was yesterday against uh, against Palace. Like for it to go down, I mean, I, well, I, I was just about to say it probably never happen ever again. But obviously, it happened last season when we, when we played yeah. uh, when we played Derby. Derby but, yeah, yeah. But for for the, for like. All that to happen, all the all the shit that season, and to go down to literally one game of football again. You know, it's either yeah. us or them that's gonna that's gonna gonna stay up. And um, you know, what were it thirty six thousand fans were it that were inside yeah. inside yeah, Hill, yeah. Hillsborough that day? I mean, what what obviously you were you there? Were you there that day? Were you in this? Of you course, yeah, yeah. What what were you feeling like on that? We had we had nervous. We had what what were you, what were your thoughts? Massively like? nervous because uh, you know I believed. That had we stayed up, we would have been able to see out the clean up and get new investment in. But having that much of a mess and no willing sellers in, in as we talked about earlier, and League One wasn't going to be investable until we got back out of League One. But I also believe that, you know, even in that scenario, if if we'd been allowed to run the club properly with no funny business, the co-op bank would have supported a sensible plan to get it back up again, you know. Um, so massively nervous, um, but you know, I, I, the, the day was the same as it, as it was for every other match. I, you know, I, I got there a couple of hours early. Um, I put my suit on. I don't wear suits. It was only, only as Wednesday chairman did I put a suit on. Um, put my suit is, on. Is, I that, got is, there that hours felt, is that because you felt like you have to, you had to? As I said earlier, I, I felt it was required for somebody to operate a level of integrity and professionalism to build confidence by it, given the crap that had gone on in the years before, the, the corruption, the poison, and the lack of professionalism. So, you know, hours before the game, I'm there going round all the prep, you know, meet, you know, sitting in on the stewards meeting and asking if they need anything, you know. Then you'd got the meet and greet with the opposition and the various bits in, in the fan hospitality. And all I wanted to do was get pissed up and go and stand on Scott Cop and scream. You know, yeah. so there's this tension of will we be able to see the project through of turning it round? There's the obligations as a custodian of the club to support the match preparation, and then the game itself was just pure horrible. Yeah, you know, it, do, it was do you like, remember much of the game, or is it a bit of a blur? I, I remember two things: um, um, the ball going over Lee Grant's left shoulder, 
Yeah. And at yeah. that time, I didn't know that he'd got a left, injured left shoulder. They kept it quiet. Right. There's there's another little gimme for you. <laughs> um, you know, it, well, did he keep it quiet because he wanted to play then, Lee? Um, they kept it quiet because he wanted to play, and even with a slightly injured left shoulder, he was still the best keeper. Yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> and they didn't want the opposition to know. But, ah, you know, okay. I forget his name, quality midfielder, it's that ball, it goes top left, there's no way Lee Grant's saving that. David Ambrose, would it? Ambrose, yeah, that's it, yeah. And then it's... the other thing I remember is Franny Jeffers raising to the full light of acting you, you and fucking missing the ball. Yeah, you may. All he needed to do was add that in, and that would have been it sorted. Shall I tell you the one, the one thing that I remember from that game is uh, you went for you went for a piss and missed all goals. <laughs> no, that that were uh, that were playoff final in two thousand and five. That one. Yeah. Now where uh, it was. Oh, you had li- toilet troubles there. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> I was. Mate, I you should have seen poisoning. it. I had food poisoning at college. Yeah. The, the, yeah. He, Jamie, you said you should have seen him. That's the point. You, I, I weren't hardly there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, Lee, when we talked about Car Millennium Stadium, we were on about Chris James has won. You've got to stay till the last kick at game. Fair enough. Yeah. I agree. I agree. If it's close, but if you're freeing it up in 90th minute, you get on quicker. I'll, I'll go. But James, he can still go to the match till the last minute, but he can have 20 minute in the toilet having a piss. Yeah. Just, hold on a minute. Just one one second. Let me just turn this around before James tells us what he's remembered. So I've just got on my board here. Look, I've just yeah. got. So, but if you look there, Lee Stafford, 50 years <laughs> ideas. So we've got we've got Vegas Vegas for two months to get home a day with family oh and then sign them for a month. That's what we've got here. So I don't um, know what you think of them ideas, but <laughs> brilliant. They but, sound great for somebody else that's got less ambition to hold on to a marriage, marriage and a stable family life. Yeah, but yeah, but Lee, Lee, this is the thing now. Like, I love you, but what, what, why? How can you even say your marriage is more important than? Getting pissed for me. <laughs> I think, you know, as much as I, this love is, is blossoming in this conversation, I think I'm comfortable in saying it definitely is. <laughs> when, when's your birthday, by the way? When is it, Lee? March the 26th. Well, I've got plenty of time See, to organise it. Mine's yeah. April 23rd, so we can have it as a double. Yeah, fuck it. We'll just do it as a double. We'll go to Thailand for four months. <laughs> <laughs> go on. The, the, yeah. the thing that I remember from that Ellen game. Island, halfway between the two, might <laughs> be a worker. <laughs> yeah, the thing that I remember from that game was uh, Leon Clark just before half time, just deciding to uh, to boot the uh, advertising audience. Oh, that as well. Yeah, he broke his toe and then broke his, yeah broke a bone in his foot. Yeah, didn't he? So that 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 that's the one thing that I remember from that from that game. You know, you know, with that thing, James, with it as well. You'll probably remember this, Lee, as well. So the thing is, back then, Wednesday went to play to sign people for money, and Francis Jeffers, I think it was nine hundred grand he signed for. But he were on loan at Ipswich. He were on loan at Ipswich. He were banging him in. And then we signed him for like 900 grand. And it was massive at the time. And you could see he had some it, but you didn't like him because he didn't score. And he was that scouse guy that you just thought had an attitude. But when we spoke to players after, they said he really, he did try and stuff. But like that game against Palace, all I remember from that game, personally, I were, however old we were, I'm sat next to, bang next to away end, but in Southland at this point. Yeah. And there's this guy, all game gave me shit, this Palace guy, and we're both going, yeah, you have to game, I'll fucking, I'll do this after game, and <laughs> just just threatening each other. I'm, I'm whatever age I was, right young, and I'm about six, five foot nine at the time. Didn't have tattoos then, so I weren't hard one bit. And this guy, <laughs> this guy, this guy in OAN, fat Palace fans, he's about nine foot six, big bold guy with belly art, and he's just giving me shit, I would give him shit. I remember when we equalised and Jeff was had a chance last minute and then I remember more than all 
got a corner and he blew whistle while we had the corner, which yeah. know, which was horrible. But yeah. uh, after game, after the game, everyone started invading. And then at this point, that guy's run on pitch. This guy from Palace fans, from behind fans, and he's going, "Come on, they're roasting." I'm going, "Yeah, I'm all, I'm getting on, getting on my mate's back, jumping behind my mate, going." Come on then, yeah, come on, come on then. <laughs> while I'm while I'm walking down while I'm walking down tunnel to leave. <laughs> so I, I think there's there's two things I'd say on on uh, Franz Jeffers. One, and again, this is all stuff that I learned on the back of getting involved. One, Franz Jeffers is an example of um, a, a potentially world class football that was never looked after in, the, in his youth. So somebody with his quality would not be allowed to destroy their body in today's game. But he was. He was playing and training all the time and there was nothing to support his physical development. And, you know, so by the time he's at Wednesday, he's fragile as a, as a physical specimen. Yeah. And then two, you know, Leon Clark's had massive challenges with mental health ever since a difficult childhood. And, you know, I think if... Franny Jeffers wasn't physically fragile, and if Leon Clark's head was in a good place, they would have had a great season. But Leon Clark and Franny Jeffers wouldn't have been at Sheffield Wednesday if Franny Jeffers yeah, wasn't fragile and Leon Clark didn't have his demons. James made the perfect point because when we sign people like, we're not going to go into who you like and don't like a minute, but when yeah. when we sign that Canberra guy, um, everyone's got their opinions. He's been alone at this many clubs. There's a reason he's not there. He's not a goal scorer. But like James said, we're not going to be signing players that are banging 30 goals in on free transfers. Do you know what I mean? No, we're not going to be doing they go for millions. Yeah. Exactly. I want to touch back on that now because if you've listened to podcasts and stuff, did you hear the one we did with Marcus Tudgate? No, I didn't, I didn't I didn't catch that one now. Well, well, Lee, listen, you'll love this because he was the reason I got in touch with Marcus, you want you, he's brilliant. Like you can imagine now from speaking to me for half an hour what I'm like and I've gone on Twitter, I've typed in Marcus Tudgear, hashtag Tudgear, hashtag... He's not on any media. He doesn't yeah. like, even like football. So I've got in touch. I've seen yeah. one tweet from 2013, 12 or something from yeah. a guy that went to a match with him. That's his friend. That, long yeah. story short, I've got in touch with him. He told me if Marcus works on the railways in Nottingham. Yeah. So I've rung, the whale, I've rung the railway line up and said, it's a family yeah. member, can I speak to Marcus? It's important. <laughs> and long story short, long story short, I've been with him. Yeah, and he loved that the fact what I did. So he come on the podcast. When he came on the podcast, straight away I said, right, talking about Wednesday. And if you listen to it, he's like, I don't even know what the league doing. He's literally yeah. didn't know about football. And I said, well, What do you do now? Yeah. He works on train lines Monday to Friday, six till two in the afternoon, and he loves it and he does it to show his kids they don't get nothing for free in life. Yeah, yeah. And that is why I love doing this. Yeah, and, and yeah. back when when he was a player, you know, as I said earlier, I didn't actually have that much uh, to do with players directly for the right reasons because the chairman shouldn't. Uh, but, you know, even with the minimal conversations I had and the lot of feedback that I got from the coaches, Marcus Tudgay was an example who was in football to earn money to afford his family a decent quality of life. He wasn't in football to be flashy and spend left, right and centre. You know, and he, he was practical. He was like, I've got this many seasons in me. I need to earn this amount of money and, and I want to benefit my immediate and wider family. And so it doesn't surprise me that he's now in a real job to show his kids what real life is so that yeah. they don't end up getting the wrong ideas about what, what their life expectancy should be when they grow up. Going on to some of the questions that we've had, uh, kind of lead on, lead on from what you just said. Yeah. There. Simon Rowe, uh, he just asked, uh, do you still attend the games? Yeah, you know, I... I um, 
Um, as we were saying earlier, I used to scrimp and scave to the games. I had season tickets, then sponsored, and I've maintained season tickets ever ever since I resigned my position at the club. I've you know I've I've never um, you know sought to benefit personally from anything that's happened um, prior to being involved formally with the club. You know, as a sponsor, I paid over the odds and didn't ask for much. Yeah, you haven't got one of ten year season tickets, obviously. No, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I, 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 for daft reasons, I'll renew a season ticket every year, but multi-year season tickets, knowing what goes on with financing of season tickets, I, you know, it just blows my mind that I think that's too much commitment. But, you know, I, 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 I pay my way and, you know, I, I, was, I was warned uh, coming into the club and during my time at the club uh, that, you know, it might never be possible to go and, and sit sit with the, they call us the punters, people in the game. They call the football fans the punters. You never be able to sit with the punters and be a punter again. I was like, I don't know whether or it's if my... Or chance series, it's customers. Yeah, well... <laughs> yeah, well, but that's I... the only reason I didn't renew my contract, my season ticket because I don't want a five-year season ticket. Do a 15-year one. Do you know what I mean? Why fuck about... Why do a five-year one? You're too you committed. Do... You put us all to shame. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, it's been where an do, absolute privilege. Where do you sit, Lee? Whereabouts do you sit? I, no, I, don't I, mean, I, don't I, need, I don't need to know row and seat number. Do you know what I mean? Just, I'm, I'm, <laughs> in, I'm in the grandstand. And, you know, I was warned you won't be able to sit in the cheap seats with the punters because you'll get shit left, right and centre. And apart from one or two people that are closely connected to all those self-interested crooks that were running our football club into the ground, it's been brilliant. Uh, you know, everyone's gone, you tried your best. Uh, we appreciate you trying. It's not worked out. You know, enjoy the game, and that's that's been brilliant. You know, just exactly. being able to be be in a normal environment with normal folk and just try and be a fan again. But unfortunately, I turn up at games, and I know I now know how things work in the background, so it it takes the shine off a little bit. But you know, I'm still loving Let's it. Have, there's another question um, from a guy who's called Added on Time on Twitter. How yeah. serious? And realistic was the Hillsborough Stadium update to happening if we'd have got the World Cup? Uh, I think that would have totally happened. Um, there's no way. Um, and by the way, we were never getting the World Club. It was a fiddle. And, you know, Russia and then Qatar. The money that's changed hands on the back of that. Um, I think we will get it. Uh, next one or the one after. Um, and, you know, back then, there's no way that England would have hosted the football. World Cup without the home of football being involved and yeah. for structural reasons it had to be Hillsborough you know it was never going to be Bramall Lane because you know you've you've got to create an outer perimeter and control it and that's physically impossible in the surroundings of Bramall Lane it's possible with some amends at Hillsborough yeah. and then you know we've got a very clear plan uh, funded through grants linked to maximising the way the club supported community programmes and educational programmes that would have delivered the necessary investment to be compliant with what what FIFA required. And then if the investment would ever happen, then we could have moved on to phase two because there's a phase two plan beyond the World Cup plan. Uh, But, you know, maybe Chan Serial develop Hillsborough, maybe he'll move us to somewhere else. We'll we'll see. Yeah. Now, and and finally, before we do finish, I mean... do you ever look back and regret your, your ta- like becoming chairman of Sheffield Wednesday or or do you, are you, well, are you, I, one, of, are you I, one of the people that you never have any regrets? 
I, I hate to finish on a downer because uh, you said earlier, you, you know, you, you don't get too dark and you don't get too serious. You know, the, the uh, as selfishly um, and as a Asperger's-driven, committed Wednesday, I, I don't regret trying to solve the problems there. But as a family member, I, I regret deeply the, the shit that I put my family through in that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 it's reasonably well publicized, but, you know, we, we, my autistic son's life at school was changed dramatically. You know, you, you just asked about the World Cup bid. The required development was going to get grant funded. It was all lined up. If England had been selected, then a combination of government and local grants would have sorted the Leppings Lane end and the, and the development of the North Stand as required. Um, that was at the detriment of Sheffield United getting their grant funding, which McCabe has gone on and get for flat development. Uh, they didn't get the big, big South Stand development, but I didn't know at the time. And I should say, say as well, in driving the World Cup bid process, my vision was always an inclusive one with Sheffield United and all the other sporting institutions in the city being the bidder collectively. But Kevin McCabe never wanted to play that game. He thought they were going to get it because they got money and we got no money. And it turned out that our plan to develop the stadium undermined his plan to develop his stadium, which would have got him money that he needed. And, you know, he decided he was going to go to war through PR for that. And we got a huge amount of shit directed at us through that. And, you know, there's an unwritten rule in football. If you, if, you, if there's ever a two-city, two-team city, the leadership of one club never winds up their fan base to target the other. Well, yeah. My eldest son had a, a very supportive school life prior to that playing out. And they unleashed, unleashed their PR machine. And my, my autistic four-year-old kid was getting abuse at school. Really? Right. So I, I decided to track down what had gone on and I ended up sitting with the Sheffield United PR agency. And the guy ends up, you know, I won't name his name, you know, legal reasons. But the guy sits there and says, you were going to cost Kevin a load of money. And we, didn't, we told him this is not, not the right thing to do. But he wanted you under pressure. And, it, you know... That and sitting in the middle of all those degenerates trying to maximise their egos and maximise their pennies on our football club, which, you know, that was messy. That came with death threats. That came with police protection, you know. And, and then putting myself through surgeries and doing the job yeah. <laughs> when I should have just been doing surgeries and skulking around in the background. Yeah. Um, that, that, you know, I didn't, I was happy to be stupid enough to put my body through that, but I didn't realise the impact that was going to have on the stress of me, my wife, who'd been dealing with you know me potentially dropping dead at any point because I was thirty odd stone. Yeah. So you know, I, I, as selfishly, I don't regret doing it because something needed to be done by somebody. But as a member of this family, I deeply regret the shit that that created for everybody. Yeah, um, but, I'm I'm torn right down the middle of it. The Wednesdayites like do it again, and the family man's like never do that again. Never should have done it in the first place. Look, this is this is why me and Jamie and Jazz like well like, like like talking to people like yourself, other other players, managers, things like that, because these are things that people like I said, like I've already alluded to before. Some fans just see ninety minutes of football, 
and then that's it. And you don't realize all the things that go on behind the scenes and all things and all things like that, which is like I said, which is why we like like doing this from a personal level from me and Jamie, but also people listening as well also get to know all the things that have uh, that have gone on behind the scenes and it might change their outlook on th- you know next time you're slagging Canberry off for uh, for missing that sitter Jamie uh, <laughs> you might not yeah, but no, if we get it, like, even with Dominic, even way I offer like I offer I love him I'm not again this sounds like I'm having a go I'm not but he's got a massive injury he's come back he's been offered whatever money he's been offered for a two-year contract are you going to take it or are you going to risk getting injured and not getting offered a contract from anywhere like yeah, yeah, he likes Wednesday, yeah. but he's got to be smart. Do you know what I mean? So it's not because he fucking loves us with all his art. Like, there's loads of things that, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, I know what you're saying, James. I reiterate it. And Lee, <laughs> we've been on now. I've come back. I've been here an hour, whatever. And you don't expect it to go on this long. You think half an hour, some people, 45 minutes. But when you get on about passionate things and things like talking about, this is what happens. All I can do is apologise for James not showing up. Yeah. <laughs> How are we doing on your list, James? We're done. Oh, great. It's bedtime. I can go to bed and apologise to the missus for disappearing for so long. <laughs> you no. need to apologise for that. You need to apologise for that before you apologise to your 50th, mate. Trust me. Uh, yeah. On the, yeah. On that note, yeah, Lee, thank you for uh, agreeing to come on. Sorry for taking up so much of your time. Uh, we've, uh, I'm sure everyone's uh, enjoyed it. And and obviously, I'm sure uh, Jamie will say the same, but if you, if you ever want to come on on a Sunday night, um, you know, since obviously we have some get some guests on and what have you. If you ever want to come on and talk about the game with us, then you're more than happy to. I'm sure uh, you know we, we can we can sort that as well. Yeah, yeah so, well, so, mate. You're welcome, and you know, keep doing the good stuff. <laughs>